Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Before we get to our scripture this morning, I want to ask you kids in particular, but you adults as well, do you like getting letters? I'll explain to you what a letter is. <laughs> it's something written on a piece of paper <laughs> that comes in the mail. Um, I know we don't get a lot of letters anymore, uh, as, particularly as much as we used to. But I remember when I was a little boy, uh, to get a letter in the mail from someone was a, a prized possession. You know, like typically the mail would come and it'd be lots of bills and maybe some things, other things for your parents and things like that. But when your mom or dad said, said to me, my mom or dad said to me, John, or Jonathan, because that's my, Jonathan, there's a letter for you. Oh, boy. Like, that was amazing. So I'd, you know, get the letter. I would open it very carefully. When I was too little to read, they would, my parents would read it to me. When I was able to read, I'd take it and go and spend lots of time, you know, reading my letter that was sent to me, typically by a, a grandparent, but uh, uh, sometimes others as well, friends or others. And it was just a, a tr special treasured possession to receive a letter. And as much as I like talking to that person on the phone or in person to hear their voice, receiving a letter was just as special. It was just as nice to receive a letter. And like I said, today we don't receive a lot of letters in the mail, but we still get emails and texts. That's written correspondence. And while most emails and texts are kind of short and just kind of to the point and kind of back and forth conversation, sometimes we'll get heartfelt messages, something that someone has taken time to sit down and craft. They've typed out an email or uh, pecked out a, a text, giving some heartfelt communication in terms of how they feel towards you or something that uh, they want to communicate and we, we treasure receiving those too. As much as we like to hear that person's voice or maybe FaceTime, I mean, that's a you know, great technology, right? That you get to talk to somebody almost face-to-face, -face, sometimes thousands of miles apart. But having their thoughts written doesn't diminish the specialness of it. And this morning, we're gonna see this in our text, that Peter reminds us that Receiving a letter from someone, in this case, God, receiving God's word written is no better than Peter hearing God's voice on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. Peter actually says it might, it's actually even better. Like, to have God's word is actually even better. It is as special or even better as what Peter experienced on that mountain with Jesus. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice, this very voice, born from heaven. 
for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we read just a few moments ago, your word became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. And Lord, you have given us your word in written form, given us your your letter to us of your great love for us, of how you came for us, of how you care for us, of how you sustain us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear your word. Help us to be more and more made into the likeness of the living word, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we began our series called The Five Solas, Foundations That Stand Today. And we began with an introduction explaining that the five solas are from the Reformation. They are sola scriptura, it's Latin for scripture alone, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, and sola deo gloria, glory to God alone. And we said it's important for us to study these foundations of the church because, unfortunately, we often don't know what we're talking about. We saw that in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 17, that Paul writes to Timothy and says that, you know, we sometimes think we know what we're talking about. There are those who want to be teachers, but they don't know what they're talking about. We saw that because Jesus came into the world to save sinners, we have hope in these foundations. And this morning, we continue by looking at sola scriptura from 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Sola scriptura, if you weren't with us or if you remember from last time, is the belief that because Scripture is God's inspired word, it is the only inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for the church. This is sometimes referred to as the formal principle of the Reformation, that everything else is kind of built on this understanding. You could say it's the foundation of the foundations, so to speak. It took all and final authority, this understanding of, of God's word, scripture being the final authority, away from one person, namely the Pope, and placed the authority for faith and life in the context of God's holy word. The Reformation insisted that the Bible was the sole final authority in determining doctrine and life. Doctrine meaning what we believe and how we live that out or other 
big words, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, how we understand the, what the Bible teaches and how we live that out in our lives. And interpreting it, the whole church, this is the reformers believe, the whole church must be included, including the laity. And they must be guided by the teachers of the church. And those teachers, though not infallible, should have considerable interpretive authority. They also believed that the creeds were binding, and then these newly reformed Protestant communions quickly drafted confessions of faith that received belief from the whole church, not merely just the teachers. It was the entirety of the church that began to affirm these things. And it's important for us to understand this foundational principle in the context of God's word itself and within God's family, the church. And this is important because one of the critiques of the Reformation, which is still critiqued today, is that it was an invitation to individualism. That if we allow people to have access to the Bible, it will produce an individualistic understanding of God's Word. Basically, that people can decide for themselves from the Bible what they will and will not believe. And you can kind of, see, hear, kind of see this kind of playing out. Someone might say, well, never mind the church. Who cares about the creeds and the church's teaching? We have the Bible, and that's enough. And we actually see that in many corners of the church today. It might be more colloquial known as me and my Bible, or maybe this is what I believe God is saying to me. Maybe you've heard those types of things. And while we certainly need to be reading and studying God's word for ourselves, like remember Paul was thankful that the Bereans, when he was uh, preaching the gospel to them, received the word, but also went and studied the scripture to make sure that what he was teaching and preaching was actually what scripture had to say. And so we do need to study and read God's word for ourselves. We don't do that in a vacuum, right? We don't we don't do that in, we don't like step into some kind of vacuum sealed closet where no, without anything around us and we come to God's word and, you know, and we, you know, we get some kind of like, you know, you know, divine inspiration. We come to, or we don't come to scripture without our own presuppositions, right? It's not like we sit down and read the Bible and be like, okay, all of my life experiences, all the things that I've done, my culture, all those things have no impact on how I read the Bible, Right? And unfortunately, that's how many people in the church view what it means to come to God's word in this idea that I have access, this sola scriptura. But that's really not what the reformers were getting at. This was not their doctrine of sola scriptura, only scripture. Luther himself said uh, of individual individualistic approaches to the Bible, he said, that would mean that each man would go to hell in his own way. <laughs> it's like Luther to be very direct and to the point. So we all don't need to just guard against a personal private interpretation because that can get us in trouble. But we also need to make sure that we guard against what we sometimes think. We sometimes think of sola, sola scriptura as solo scriptura, Right? only scripture, right? We have this idea, sola means scripture, sola scripture means scripture alone, and we sometimes come to this idea as solo scriptura, only scripture, or scripture only. 
that everything I need to know is in the Bible, right? That I can't have anything outside of the Bible instruct me. Everything is in the Bible. But that just isn't logically true if we think of many things in life, of medicine, sciences like physics and chemistry, right? We can't go to the Bible to study those things. Certainly, the Bible has some things to say about those things. And the Bible instructs us in terms of how we interpret the created world that we have been given. But we must not fall into the idea that the Bible is the sole source of all understanding and wisdom. It is the source, as the Reformers believed, and as has been passed down for the past 500 years, it is the source of all faith and life, of all doctrine and life. And we see this kind of thinking that can happen where all I need to, everything I need to know is in the Bible. We can see this in both the liberal and conservative wings of the church. We must be careful not to succumb to that kind of thinking. What we see in our text today is that the Word of God alone is our authority. The Word of God alone is our authority in truth and in practice. And we see that in our text. In truth, we see that in verses 16 through 19, and then in practice, we see it in verses 19 through 21. The Word of God alone is our authority in truth. So Peter begins this um, section here in his letter this argument, there is, from the broader context of the letter, we realize that there are those who are opposed to the apostles' teaching. There are those who are questioning what the apostles have been teaching, particularly about the second coming of Christ. But we also, there's also evidence that they may have questioned other aspects about the apostles' teaching, about who Jesus was and what he had accomplished. And so Peter begins in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses to his majesty. Peter begins by saying, hey, this stuff wasn't myths. This, this stuff wasn't something that was made up as a fa- fable or fairy tale. We were there. We saw it. We saw Jesus do things that we couldn't, believe or even imagine. This is something that we were eyewitnesses to. And that nothing written down that we have shared is apart from what Jesus has done and who he is. And this teaching that we have been sharing that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, this is the truth that Jesus has given us. Yes, you may be frustrated because he has not come yet, and so you think that we are, have not faithfully shared who Jesus is, but this is true. This is what will come because we saw his majesty and his glory He says, for when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. You see, Peter saying, hey, listen to me. Listen to the other apostles. We were these eyewitnesses to God's saving acts in history. That Christ's death and resurrection has, has happened and God will, God will bring about the fullness of, of his promises when Jesus comes again. And he says that, but he says, he goes on to say, it's not just that I have been an eyewitness or the other apostles have been an eyewitness. These, this is good in of itself and this is helpful for we received this from God. We heard God from the mountain, just like Moses and the people of Israel heard God's voice when God gave the Ten Commandments as a way to, for them to know that God was speaking, that God was affirming who he is and his love for them. We were there just like that on the holy mountain when God the Father spoke these words. But Peter goes on to say that it's not just that we saw with our own eyes. It's not just that we heard the voice. But he goes on in verse 19 to say, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Right? Peter is saying the Old Testament, what we know is the Old Testament, the scriptures that they had at that time were an even more even more fully confirmed the truth of who God is. More fully confirmed the truth of the word of God. That the scriptures, as good as it was to be an eyewitness, as good as it was to hear the voice of God on the mountain, he goes, guess what? We have something even better. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed that shines as a lamp, right? This word, God's word, shines as a lamp for us to see. He makes this case that God's written word is just as good or superior to what he and the other apostles experienced hearing God's voice and seeing the work of Christ firsthand. We have the truth of Scripture as our foundation and authority. Peter lays this case out that we have the truth of Scripture as our foundation and authority for doctrine and life. And he, that leads him to talk about this practice the, for doctrine in life, how we live this out in verses 19 through 21. Right, he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This lamp shining is, is Peter is helping us to see that God's word shines in the darkness. It gives us illumination for how to live. It gives us illumination to understand who God is, who we are in light of who he is and our need for him. And 
And when Peter talks about this, uh, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, he's, he's taking this idea of, this, of the propositional truths of Scripture, the things that we intellectually know, and the heartfelt understanding of what it means to be a child of God, to understand who we are as God's children saved by grace through Jesus Christ. He's saying that those things will fully come together when Christ returns. It will, it will marry the objective promises of God with our subjective experience. And it will be made full in that time. As Paul said, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Right? We shall have this full experience of what has seems to be somewhat disconnected in our experiences in life. Right? If we're honest with ourselves, these are kind of disconnected experiences at times. Sometimes they can come together in ways that are incredibly powerful and transformative. But there seems to be often in our lives as Christians this disconnect of the objective promises and our subjective experience. And yet Peter's saying that one day those will marry themselves together they will come together when the morning star rises, when Jesus comes again to make all things new. And until that day, we have to believe with our hearts, despite the evidence sometimes of our eyes, that God holds us, that the truth of God's word remains permanently. It is the voice of God speaking to us until he comes again. And Peter shows us that this, is, this process is a journey throughout our whole lives in what he calls a dark world. God has graciously provided a, a way for us to see, though, his, this, this lamp of the scriptures, that this lamp is uh, to help us, to pay attention. He gives us, as uh, Paul says to Timothy, he gives us reproof, warning, guidance. as an encouragement for us that we shall walk in safety. But if we neglect them, we shall be engulfed in darkness. This whole aspect of our lives, the whole counsel of our lives should be governed by the word of God, Peter reminds us. And he says that, and he goes on to say that we know this, that we know through God's word this, and he says in verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Now, it's disagreed in that, there's a disagreement on actually how to uh, translate this, this uh, verse. It's either that knowing this, first of all, that no uh, prophet interprets their own prophecy, or as it's translated here in our text, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Either way, it basically means the same thing, right? The prophets, when they prophesied, they didn't prophesy and then be like, hmm, let me figure out what this means and then I'm going to tell you what I believe it means. No, God told them what it means. 
And likewise, for those of us who have received the prophecy, for those of us who received God's word, right, we are as well to hear from God through the Holy Spirit in the context of God's people, the church, what the interpretation is. Right? We are to not interpret for ourselves. We need to have God's interpretation, which comes by the Spirit through the people of God. Now, I'll say this one more time, just in case you missed it earlier. I am not saying that private Bible reading, Bible study is not important. It certainly is. It's certainly, the scripture over and over again tells us how important it is to hide the word of God in our heart. How important it is to know God's word deeply and thoroughly. But we must be careful that as we do that, we do not come up with some new interpretation, some, this is how I believe God is speaking this particular thing to me. If that doesn't align with the rest of Scripture, with the rest of the way that the church historically has helped to interpret those passages. You know, I'll be, I'll be studying for a sermon. I don't know, Nick, if you've ever experienced this, and you'll come across something, you'll be like so excited, you'll be like, Wow, I've never seen this before. Man, this is really cool. This is neat. This is different than anything I've ever heard. Guess what the first thing I do when I, when I do that? I start looking to see if anyone else has ever seen this or thought this or believed this to be true. Because, as I said earlier, we bring so much of our own experiences of our own understanding to the interpretation of, of the text, that we must be careful. We must do it within the, within the context of God's people, the church, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul ends with in verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And because it's connected to the previous thought, this is both how Scripture was given, but also how we are to receive it as well. He uses a maritime metaphor here in verse 21. It's connected uh, in Acts 27. You see the same terminology where the same word is used for a ship carried along by the wind. And what Peter is saying, in, in a sense, is that the prophets raised their sails, so to speak, and the Holy Spirit filled them and carried them along in the direction that the Holy Spirit wished. Men spoke, God spoke. It's likewise with us as we seek to understand God's word. We are carried along by the Holy Spirit in the context of God's people, the body of Christ, all having different gifts and abilities to help us understand. And Peter is giving us one more statement on why this is to be our practice is because this is God's very word. God's ultimate authorship of scripture. And he 
helps us to understand how this actually worked. It was those who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, their life situations, their limitations, their ex- education, their the cultural background and so forth of, of their human experience was cooperated with God in, in producing his word. Well, sometimes we, I think we think about this as an idea where like the writers of the, of the Bible kind of got into some kind of trance and then like the Holy Spirit just moved their hand and they wrote something out. But that's not what we see in scripture. That it was these people that were, had their normal hum, humanity as part of the process that God co-opted, that the Spirit moved in them. God's inspiration is not like some superstition or some suppression of the normal mental functioning of the human author. Instead, the Holy Spirit uses these people as instruments to bring his word to bear in our lives. He does this that we might properly understand and use scripture. That we might have hope in what we have been given. Right? This is why sola scriptura is so important. That we might have hope in what we have been given. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? This, first and foremost, as I began this morning talking about letters written to us. This is first and foremost a letter from our Heavenly Father. A letter of love and compassion, of grace and mercy. Right, sure, there are moral ways of living. There are laws that God says are the best way to to live our lives. But it is primarily... God's story of his redeeming love for his people. It is primarily God's love letter to us. This is why it is so important for us to understand this foundational principle of sola scriptura. That it is not first and foremost a guidebook but is in first and foremost God's very word to you, to me, his sons and daughters, of the truth of who he is and who we are and how he desires us to put that truth into practice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you for your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, your son, our savior. We thank you for your word spoken audibly to those who have heard as Peter heard. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word written to us. We're reminded that it is true and good that we can put our trust in it that it might lead us to a life of faithful practice. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.